Well, good morning. We're going to be uh, in a number of different places in the Bible. And so uh, if you want to go somewhere, you can go to Matthew chapter 6. Um, but don't freak out. We're not going to get there for a few minutes. Um, just hold, hold your spot there. When I was in high school and college, I worked for a guy in our church who was a contractor and a carpenter. At the time, he was building three houses on a small, partially developed street in my hometown. One of the houses was basically finished. Another of the house was framed and the roof was built, but there was still a lot of work to do uh, in terms of finishing it out. And then the third was simply an empty lot. Well, over the course of the next uh, year or so, I learned what it took to take uh, an empty lot and turn it into a completed house. And one of the things uh, I learned, first of all, was the importance of a strong foundation. Now, this was in Northern California, and, and so the way they built the foundation, and we built the foundation there, was a little bit different than how they're done here. Most of the time here, like for example, uh, in the room where we meet, there's a, there's a slab floor. Most of your houses, probably all of your houses, have a slab foundation where it's basically just a slab of concrete in the shape of the house, and then everything's built on top of that slab of concrete. Well, uh, in Northern California, very often what the, the foundation is built, it's called a subfloor foundation. And uh, a subfloor foundation is built with a ribbon of concrete called a footing in the shape of the, the house's uh, exterior outline around the outside, 18 inches wide or so. And then joists, wooden planks or joists that are built across the footing. <clears throat> And, and then on top of the joist would be uh, plywood that would be screwed or nailed down called a subfloor. And there, so there's these two elements of a foundation, a footing, the, the, the concrete that you have to build, the, what are called forms, the, the wood forms that are going to hold the concrete, and you put steel rebar inside and then pour the concrete in and level it off, and there's these anchored screw uh, bolts that are anchored into the concrete that then you screw down uh, a wooden board called a plate on top of, and then you nail in the joists on top of that, and then the plywood subfloor on top. Um, so you have the two parts. You have the footing and then you have the joists and the, and the plywood that form the foundation of the house. Well, I think this illustrates the relationship between Bible reading, which we talked about last week, and prayer, which we're going to talk about this week. Bible reading and prayer go together like footing and joists to create a subfloor foundation for your Christian life. Reading the Bible is like building the wood forms and laying the steel rebar and pouring the concrete to form the, the footing and, 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 and the, the outside sort of ribbon of the house of your Christian life. And on top of that, you build your life of prayer. A man named Donald Whitney, who's written a number of books on spiritual growth, uh, most, most uh, famously probably personal spiritual disciplines, says that it's much more important for us to hear from God than for God to hear from us. So, so the, 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 the initial footing of your Christian life is built upon the foundation of the Bible and engaging and reading the Bible. Everything else comes from this. Prayer is, is built upon this footing, this concrete anchored footing that's then built on top 
of the foundation of Bible reading and Bible engagement and Bible application. And, and together, these two things, Bible reading and prayer, form the foundation of your Christian life. The, these are the non-negotiable essentials of your Christian life, of a life of following Jesus will be built upon hearing from God in the Bible and then speaking back to God in prayer. And if this construction illustration maybe isn't connecting, think of it like this. The Christian life without both Bible reading and prayer is like physical life without food and water. It's like cooking food without salt and pepper. It's like writing a letter without a pen and paper. It's like taking a bath without soap and water. Not that my kids have ever done that. It's like opening a door without a key and a lock. It's like a smartphone without an internet connection. It's like starting a fire without fuel or wood to burn or starting a car without gas in the engine or spark in a spark plug. You need both Bible reading and prayer to make the foundation of your Christian life. And, the, and, and, any, and maybe you're committed to this, and I hope you are in 2019, a spiritual renovation project. Every year should be, this should be our commitment every year to be further uh, renovated in, in the image of Christ until we pass or until he returns. The problem, though, is often we, we end up shifting into what we call at Cross United autopilot. We, we kind of shift into this, this spiritual cruise control and just sort of coast through life and coast through our spiritual life. Autopilot um, is a very real danger and, and all too often a reality in our lives. A few years ago, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about how automation makes us dumb. Um, and, and one of the things it talks about is how autopilot in airplanes has produced what, what one study published in 20, 2007 calls skill fade. And, and so they did this test. This guy was his PhD dissertation in engineering, and he did a test of, of pilots um, and how they handle a difficult landing in a commercial airliner in bad weather. And what he found was a direct correlation between pilots who had spent more time flying a plane manually than pilots who had spent more time using the autopilot feature. Um, and that just makes sense. It's 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 really it's it, it, it just makes a lot of sense that that would be the case. That he says that flying skills decay quite rapidly toward the fringes of tolerable performance without relatively frequent practice. In other words, if you don't spend time flying a plane, you don't you don't stay good at flying planes. You need frequent practice, and it's the same in your Christian life. You need frequent practice of reading the Bible and prayer. It's essential to your spiritual life. Now, I know some of you here, um, you're, you're not a Christian yet. You're, you're not sure about Christianity. Maybe you're confused about the Bible, or maybe you're skeptical about the Bible. And I just want to say I, I understand uh, where you're coming from, and, and I, 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 I get that kind of what you're wrestling with. And I just want to ask you if, if that's the, the spot where you find yourself to just do two things. The first is to listen. Just listen and, 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 and think about what, what, what I'm going to say. 
And then second is to be open-minded. So just listen and be open-minded. That's, that's all I'm asking for, from you. If, if you're not a Christian yet, if, if you're not sure or you're uh, skeptical, just, just listen and, and just be open-minded and, and, and just see if maybe there's something here. If you are a Christian, I want to challenge you to listen to this message with the intent to respond. To, to respond to a sermon on prayer rather than just listening to uh, a sermon on prayer. I, I've um, been trying to exercise more regularly and I've been watching some of these uh, workout videos. And Tony Horton, he's the P90X, if you've heard of P90X, he has some uh, free videos on YouTube. And I was watching some of these and I was uh, laying in bed watching them on my phone. Um, getting ready to hopefully work out and, and exercise the next morning. And as I'm watching these, I'm watching this video and I realize like you watch this and you're like watching someone else work out. Like you kind of feel like, yeah, like that's good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I could do this. And, and then you watch, you finish watching the video and the guy's like breathing like, yeah, that's a good workout. And you're like, yeah, you're right. I feel it. I feel it. And then you get up the next morning and you try to exercise yourself and you realize, oh my goodness, it's a whole lot harder to actually do it than just to watch it. Well, too often these types of messages like like this where we, we're talking about prayer are, are similar, where we are tempted to engage it and, and listen to it and be uh, maybe inspired or encouraged or challenged, but actually don't, not put it into practice for ourselves. And in fact, if you do that, it will actually be worse for you than if you hadn't listened at all. If you listen to a sermon that calls for action without responding and acting, it actually makes your spiritual life worse rather than better. Just like watching workout videos without actually exercising makes you less healthy rather than more because one, you're sitting there doing nothing, watching something on your phone rather than actually moving your body, but two, you are tricking yourself into thinking that you've actually done something when you haven't. Um, and so, so here, here's what I want to do. I want to I look at three things um, that if you listen and respond by the grace of God, I think will dramatically improve your spiritual life. First, I want to I look at what prayer is. Second, why you should pray and third, some practical discussion for how to pray. So first, what prayer is. Prayer ultimately is answering God when God speaks to us. Prayer is hearing God and then speaking in response. Prayer is the second half of a conversation. God speaks first. He speaks to us in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God, but literally it says all scripture is God-breathed, that it's God's speech. You think about when you speak, you, you breathe out when you speak. This is what it means when it says scripture is God-breathed. It means God has spoken in scripture. 
This is why Bible reading is the footing and you build that subfloor of prayer on top of the Bible because we can't speak to God with any sort of meaningful engagement if we have not heard him speak to us. And I think the, the reason, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, a, the, a main reason why our prayer lives are so impoverished is because we're trying to fuel it with so little Bible. So a couple years ago, we got our our kids got from uh, my parents a Jeep big power wheel for Christmas, and it's got this big old battery in it. And uh, you charge up the battery, and they can ride all around. It's a lot of fun. Well, every once in a while, um, we'll leave the battery in it, and the kids will get in, and they'll go, and they'll they'll hop in, they'll press the little pedal, and they'll go, and they'll go. And they'll go like five feet and then they'll stop because there's just enough juice in that battery to move them a little ways, but the battery's not actually charged. Too often, that's what our prayer life is like. We have just enough Bible to kind of get a little start going. We have some stuff we memorized when we were a kid or something we heard this week or maybe something that sort of stayed in there from Bible reading uh, a couple days ago or a sermon that we heard. Or, or, or whatever. And, and we've got just enough Bible juice to get us moving a little bit, but not enough Bible juice to actually keep us going. We need our batteries charged with the Bible if our prayer life is going to have any power. Because prayer is answering God, talking to God because he has spoken to us. Eugene Peterson said, prayer is answering speech. The first word is God's word. Prayer is a human word and is never the initiating and shaping word simply because we are never first. God speaks and then we speak back to God. That's what prayer is. Second, why you should pray. You should pray first because you get to. You get to. It's a privilege and a a delight to pray. You get to, first of all, fulfill the deep longing of your heart. We were built and wired from the factory with a desire to know and commune and relate to God. We were born and made and created for the presence of God. Every culture throughout history practices religion because we're wired to seek a transcendent being. Jesus' disciples had this longing in Luke 11, 1. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. In my F260 Bible reading plan, ding, ding, by the way, hope you're reading. If you haven't started or you got got a little sidetracked, never too late to start or restart reading the Bible for yourself. So I was reading Job, and I I came across this, this verse in Job 19, 27. He says, I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him and not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. We are made with a longing for God, and prayer is one way to fill that longing. You get to fulfill the longing of your heart. You get to have access to God. You have the opportunity at any time, in any place, to speak with the creator of all things. Imagine what this kind of access would be valued at in, 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 in the, the, the world we live in. Warren Buffett, the, the billionaire... Uh, CEO of, of um, Berkshire Hathaway, and, and, and if you ever go on Wikipedia and just look at what uh, Berkshire Hathaway's holdings, they own like 
everything. They own like Geico insurance. They own, um, they just, they, I, I can't, it's just half the stuff you use that this, this guy's company owns. And uh, he, he's, he's known as a, a, a genius and, and this philanthropist. And every year, for years now, he has auctioned off a lunch appointment with him, um, with himself, and then he donates the proceeds of the auction to charity. And every year, a lunch appointment with Warren Buffett goes for like $3 million. That's how valuable his time is. Imagine if someone you think is cool, uh, I don't know who that is, like maybe, maybe it's like an artist, maybe, you know, like, uh, maybe it's an actor, it's like, you know, uh, Tom Selleck or, uh, you know, Selena Gomez or, I don't know, uh, Derek Jeter, whoever. Someone you think is cool. Just think someone you think is cool that, like, you would never get to talk to. Imagine you got a text message saying, hey, this is so-and-so. What would you think? What would you think? Your, your response would be, yeah, right, this is a prank. Yeah, right, who is this for real? But imagine that the text came through and it was genuine. What would you do? I think at the very least, you would text back. And you would be astounded that this person initiated a conversation with you. Well, this is what God has done with us. He has invited us into a conversation, a relationship with him. Romans 5.2 says, We have obtained access through Jesus with the Father by faith into this grace in which we stand. Ephesians 2.18 says, Through Jesus we have access, both Jew and Gentile, in one spirit to the Father. In Jesus we have boldness and confident access through faith. Here we see that the primary motivation, the primary get-to of prayer is not to get something, but to get someone. It's not a transaction, but it's a relationship. You don't pray primarily to get something done or something fixed or something helped, but you Pray primarily to have a conversation and relationship with God and to know his presence. But you also get to have access. You get to access God's power. Uh, James 5 says the prayer of a righteous man, verse 16, is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Prayer. Sometimes people say prayer changes things, but that's actually not true. Prayer can't change anything. But God can change anything. And often God uses our prayer as a means to get things done. In his book, An Unstoppable Force, uh, Erwin McManus shares the story of planting a church in a poor neighborhood of Dallas, Texas. He's a pastor in Los Angeles now, but um, this church he planted started to grow a little bit and was able to buy a piece of property a couple of miles from downtown. And um, they went and they, they began the process of, of getting permits to build uh, a little church building on this on this property. And they... Um, had some soil samples taken, and the soil samples showed that the land was unusable, unbuildable. You couldn't develop it because as far down as they could measure, it was landfill. It was just – it was not 
Um, it it wasn't a, a plot of land that could be developed, and and McManus says he's like so discouraged, and you know he he made this major blunder leading the church to buy this property. They didn't have any money left, and and so they had no money. They had they had no other option except to pray, and so they prayed, and they prayed, and and they had another soil sample taken sometime later. And that soil sample showed that the land was solid and ready for development. McManus says, how did this happen? Was it because the core sample was in a different part of the land? Or could it be that God had actually performed a miracle and changed the landfill to good land? What I do know is that the same realtor who sold the property to me came back and offered three times the amount he had sold. Sold it for once he heard the clearance to build had actually come through. What I do know is that the previous owners could not build on the property, but we could. What I do know is that we were told the property was worthless and unusable. What I cannot tell you is what happened beneath the ground at 2815 South Irve Street. All I can tell you is what I know, and that is that God took my failure and performed a miracle. Today, Cornerstone worships on that acre of land in a sanctuary built by our own hands. You can Google. I did. I Googled the street address, uh, 2815 South Irve Street in Dallas. And you go to Street View, and there it is, a little church building that people drive by every day. And they don't know that it's a standing testimony to the power of God in response to prayer. Literally, as I was writing this sermon on Friday... Um, writing out, um, I'd written, been collecting notes and praying and thinking throughout the week. And then Friday came to really just put the whole thing together. And I get a text from Laura saying, pray for me. I don't feel well. And I said, okay. And I just paused. I said, Lord, just help Laura be with her, strengthen her, help her feel better. Less than like 20 minutes later, she texts back and says, I drank my coffee because this is like mid-morning and been crazy. She hadn't had a chance to drink any coffee yet. I took some Advil, I took a shower, and uh, I feel just like a hundred times better. Now you may say, well, of course she feels better because she had a cup of coffee and um, she had some Advil, she took a shower. So of course she feels better. Well, I know there's lots of times where I've felt crummy or she has felt crummy or you felt crummy and you've done all the right things to try to feel better. You've taken the medicine, you've taken the shower, you've drunk coffee if that's your thing and it didn't do anything. And I wonder, I wonder, was it just a coincidence that while writing a sermon on prayer and asking God to help me remember answers to prayer, God answered a prayer right there and then? You may call it a coincidence. What I say is it seems like there's a whole lot more coincidences when we pray and a lot more things that happen coincidentally when we pray than when we don't pray. You should pray because you get to, but you should also pray because you've got to. It's a get to, it's a privilege, it's a delight, but it's a got to. It's also a command. You've got to follow Jesus's example. If you, if you went to Mark 6, like, like I said, we're going to get there in just a second. Um, but, but, but first, in, in Mark 1.35, we see throughout that Jesus got up early to pray. I said Matthew 6, not Mark 6, by the way. Um, Jesus prayed all throughout the Gospels. Mark, excuse me, Matthew 14, 23, 26, 36, Mark 135, 646, Luke 321, 516, 929. 
all of those. I, and I went per- through those quickly on purpose because those are just a sampling of the times where the Gospels tell us, the biographies of Jesus tell us that Jesus prayed. His prayer inspired his disciples in Luke 11.1. 1, it says he was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. If Jesus, who was God the Son incarnate, who had been in intimate communion with his Father eternally, had to pray when he was in human flesh on earth, how much more so do we have to pray? When he was agonizing in the garden before his crucifixion, he prayed. Jesus, it says in Matthew 26, 36, came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but as you will. If Jesus had to pray, how much more so do we have to pray and follow Jesus' example? We've got to follow Jesus' example, but we also have to follow Jesus' command. Okay, now we're going to Matthew 6, 5. Jesus tells his disciples, When you pray, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, it's not just an example that he sets, but it's an assumption that he makes. He commands us to pray and he assumes that we will pray. Mark 5.44, pray for your enemies. You've got to pray to obey Jesus' command. All throughout the Bible it says you've got to pray. And it's a get to, but it's also a got to. And then as MC Hammer told us, you've got to pray just to make it today. Throughout his letters to the churches and the Christians that he loved, Paul the Apostle says, I'm praying for you. Colossians 1.9 says, we haven't stopped praying for you. And then at the end of the letter to Colossae in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Verse 3, pray also for us. The church needed prayer from the Apostle, but the Apostle also needed prayer from the church. There's a story in the life of Jesus where his disciples are trying to cast a demon out of a little boy and they can't do it. And, and, and the, the father comes to Jesus and says, your disciples tried to cast it out and they couldn't do it. And Jesus says, oh, faithless, unbelieving generation. And, and he goes to the, the demon, rebukes him, and he casts the demon out. And disciples come up after and say, hey, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Like, what, what, why, what was the problem? And Jesus says, Mark 9, 29, there are some... This kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. There are some things that only happen when we pray. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City and shares a story in his book on prayer called Prayer um, about learning to pray with his wife. This was after 9-11 had happened and he had been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And he said he'd been a pastor for decades, well-known, growing uh, church, influential doctorate, had been a professor of theology, and he'd never learned to consistently pray with his wife until this time. He was 50 years old. He said his wife used this illustration that kind of got his attention. He says, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. 
Imagine you were told you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together, his wife said, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't just let it slip our minds. You've got to pray just to make it today. So you pray because you get to, you pray because you got to, and then third, you should pray because Jesus and the Spirit are already praying for you. Man, this is such good news because we see that our prayer life is not ultimately dependent on us, that we are not the general contractor of our own spiritual renovation, but God, the triune God, is the general contractor overseeing the work that the subcontractors fail to perform, that he will not fail to complete the good work that he started in us. Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As critical as prayer is, the renovation project we see is not ultimately dependent on us. It's dependent on the Spirit praying for us and the Son praying for us. Hebrews 7.25 He is able to save completely those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Who is the one who condemns? Romans 8.34 Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. What these verses are saying is that Jesus died on the cross to pay the wages of sin, which is death. And he died in our place, but he didn't remain dead. He was buried and raised to life and then ascended to the throne of God in heaven. Now, both fully God and fully man, he stands in the presence of the Father as the perfect sacrifice for his people. And anyone who turns from their sins and trusts in him will be forgiven and given eternal life. And you can do that today. If you've got that connection card that I mentioned earlier, you can just mark on that card, I want to become a Christian. And maybe you don't know exactly what that means. Maybe you're not sure you're ready to make that decision. Well, just check the box and drop that card in the offering box or bring it up to me at the end of the service. I'd love to talk with you and, and, and answer any questions. I know it's a major life decision. It's a huge thing. And so, so, but, but if you feel that, that God is pulling you toward himself, don't, don't ignore his voice. Then one day at the end of time, Jesus will return and restore the whole created order and bring judgment to those who have not trusted him. But until that time, he intercedes with the Father for those who are his. Robert Murray McShane, a Scottish pastor, said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. We can never outpray the, the Son and the Spirit but we can join them as they invite us into the Father's presence. Third, let's talk about how you should pray. First, let's talk about some attitudes and habits of prayer. First, pray with faith. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Mark eleven, twenty-eight. 
24. You have to pray with faith. You have to pray like God is going to respond and believe that he will. Remember that story I just told you about the man whose son had a demon that the disciples couldn't cast out? Jesus told the man, he said, everything is possible for those who believe. And the father prayed, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's our prayer. That's our posture. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Pray with faith. Second, pray with sincerity. Luke 20, 47, Jesus talks about those who, for a pretense, make long prayers. Pray what you mean and mean what you pray. Pray with sincerity. Pray from the heart. Don't pray to impress anyone with your spiritual vocabulary, but pray to enter the presence of God. And access his power. Third, pray consistently. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray constantly. This means having a daily pattern of prayer. Not that you're praying of every moment, of every second, of every day. That's impossible. God doesn't want you to do that. Because then you would not do all the other good work that he has called you to do. It does mean communing with him, talking with him throughout the day. And as you have moments, just say, God, help me, be with me. And and talking to him quietly uh, throughout the day in your heart or maybe just under your breath. But it also means having a consistent, set-apart time each day to pray and to seek him. Be devoted to prayer. Pray constantly. Fourth, pray desperately. The story in Luke 18, 9 through 14 of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee stands up and prays this long, eloquent prayer. And it says the tax collector couldn't even lift up his eyes. He was so ashamed and he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. And it says that man's prayer, that man's prayer was pleasant, that that man went home justified. Pray like someone who has no other hope and no other option because the reality is you don't. Finally, let's talk about a few strategies for prayer. Strategies for prayer. First and foremost, and if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. Pray the Bible, especially the Psalms. I mentioned Donald Whitney earlier. He has another book called Praying the Psalms. Practice taking all the he's, Lord, he is good, he is good, and turning them into you's. Lord, you are good, you are good, and you have an instant prayer book. Make a habit of praying whatever it is you read in your F260 Bible reading plan and whatever stands out to you and turning that back to the Lord in prayer. Pray God's promises back to him and say, God, you said, God, you said this and you said this. I'll never forget um, that same uh, professor, Donald Whitney. He was, um, uh, he's an author, but he's also a professor and he taught a class in my first semester of seminary on spiritual disciplines. And he talked about making arguments with God, like laying your case before him and, and, and making, giving reasons to God why he should answer your prayer based on his own word. And, um, and so I, I thought of the most uh, pressing, desperate need I had in my life in that moment, and this was uh, fall of 20, 2005, and that is I was single and I was lonely and I wanted to find a girl who was silly enough to marry me. And so I just, I went home into my, my dorm room and I made a list, and I still have got it in my journal, of 11 biblical reasons why God should provide 
a wife, why he should open the door for me to meet someone and get married. And so I had all these, I think I had 11 reasons. And I said, God, you said this. And 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 you said this. And I prayed that every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And seven months to the day after making that list, uh, I started dating Laura, who ended up being my wife. I did the same thing in the spring of 2008 when I was coming toward the end of seminary and wanting to uh, become a pastor. I don't know if you know about this, about jobs, but jobs want people who've actually had experience doing the thing they're being hired to do. And the pro- that's the same in churches. Like They don't want pastors who've never actually been a pastor before. And I'd never been a pastor. I'd been to seminary, but that wasn't like necessarily like that doesn't necessarily mean I was ready to be a pastor or I'd been a ministry intern, but I knew God had called me to this, and I believed that. And so I made a list of biblical reasons why God should open the door for me to become a pastor. And I prayed those back to God and said, God, you said this, and you said this, and you said this. And a year later, I uh, became a a pastor in a church in 2009. Did the same thing when we were having trouble uh, having kids in uh in early 2009, we made this list of biblical reasons and said, God, you said this, and you said this, and you said this. And uh, September 2010, Adeline came into the world and had two more beautiful kids since then. Appeal to God based on his promises, his character, and his word. Pray the Bible back to God. That's why it's got to be the, the footing of the foundation of your Christian life. Next, pray through writing. This might be helpful to you. Pray through a journal, like type it or write it by hand, whatever helps maybe focus your mind, write it out, even pray it back again. Um, Pray the words of others. Some of you might think this is unspiritual, like, oh, prayer should be spontaneous and from the heart. Well, sometimes my heart is slow and discouraged and distracted. And uh, for years, I've used a little book uh, called The Valley of Vision. It's a book of Puritan prayers that I pray back to God sometimes, and there's apps uh, there's you can get in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, sometimes I have dif- difficulty mustering the words, and the words of other Christians help me. Uh, fourth, you can pray a pattern. So one common one that, that I've used before and that maybe would be helpful for you is the ACTS pattern, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. God, you're amazing, adoration. God, I screwed up, confession. Thank you, Lord, thanksgiving. Lord, please help with this, supplication, asking for things. There's the thank you, help me pattern, just thanking God for everything you can think of and asking for his help with everything you can think of. You can pray through the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, Um, not just the words themselves, but using the words as a pattern in each request and our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name and pray for a minute based on that for God to glorify his name and in your life and your family in South Florida and our church, your kingdom come and pray, pray over that for a minute. And on down the line. Uh, fifth, you can pray with note cards. So I have a stack of three by five index cards that I have uh, a card for each area of my life. I've got one for, for God, got one for Laura, for our kids, and for our, you know, our church and family. And over the years, you can see I've got different pens and pencils that I've written things on. I'll write scripture references or verses or a single word to kind of help me remember. And I'll, I'll kind of use those to pray over the things that are happening in my life. 
There's no right way or wrong way. But the question is, will you pray? Will you commit to a foundation of Bible reading and prayer in 2019? If you establish this pattern, you will build and you will repair a foundation for an inheritance for future generations. My grandpa told me a story when he and my grandma bought their first house in San Jose, California in the late 40s. They found out the foundation on one side, the footing of the foundation was sinking and was lower uh, than the rest of the house. And if it didn't get repaired, that it was going to damage the structural integrity of the house as a whole and the house would be um, not worthless, but, but but worth quite a bit less and uh, and ultimately unlivable. And so he would go, he was a banker, but he would go out every evening and every weekend and he would dig out under the footing and he put solid rock underneath and he would use a jack, a hand, like a, a car hand jack and he would jack up the foundation and he would, he slowly but surely nights and weekends repaired the foundation of that house. So that when the time came, they sold that house at a greatly appreciated value and bought another house that then they left to my dad when they had both passed away that has established the inheritance for our family for literally generations. And here's what I want to say. If you commit to a foundation of Bible reading and prayer, you will build and you will repair and renovate a foundation for a spiritual inheritance for generations that may be that, that you will not even be able to conceive what kind of fruit it will bear down the road. Will you commit to this in 2019? Let's pray.